I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style. Hello and welcome to Film Chat. This week, handsome marine engineer Danny Moran marries an enchanting Serbian woman who fears that her devil-worshipping ancestors have left her with a curse that will transform her into a man-eating panther at moments of high emotional intensity. That's all to come in about an hour's time in a dramatic bit of podcasting not to be confused with the 1942 movie Cat People or indeed its 1982 remake. But before he's shredded into little pieces by the claws of a ravenous beast, Danny will be talking about and reviewing films with me sam foster his secretary and secret admirer Ooh, ooh! i always suspected but now you've confirmed it okay um on this episode of film chat we tackle low-key offbeat road movie come fairy tales slow west starring michael fassbender and we give a reappraisal to the cowrie classic the third man famous for containing one of Orson Welles' most accomplished and sober performances. We also speculate about the plot of Top Gun 2, investigate why the 86-year-old director of The Wicker Man wants your money, and wonder why the most exciting filmmaker of his generation is writing a film about a little wooden puppet boy. What's that about? Weird. Uh, all of which leaves just enough time for me to give my tutorial on how to keep your eyebrows on fleek, which Katie has assured me will make the final edit. Sounds good. Up in this bitch. Eyebrows on fleek. <laughs> Gonna get cranked. Yeah. Eyebrows on fleek. Films, 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 lots of films, 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 films. He's good films, bad films, fun films, sad films, films we love, weird films, Lars von Trier films, old films, new films, some John that star Peter Fitch Films by David Lynch Films short, films six hours long We've got films up to your gills With films, 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 movies Are you feeling comfortable? Film chat has begun So... We've had some correspondence, but they've all come from Dougal McQueen. And mm. I mean, it's less, you know, letters of film-related interest, but I think more cry for help. <laughs> um, so on Friday, we got a series of messages at uh, 8.11. He typed, it may be because I'm eating a goat's cheese sandwich and I'm drugged up to the eyeballs, but is Leap Year the best movie ever made? Then 15 minutes later, uh, 2026, he said, hold on, I thought she didn't like him. This film is full of surprises. It's like he was sort of live blogging watching Leap Year. Yeah, I mean, no one asked him to, but he just, you know. I'm glad he did. I'm glad he did. Then at 2035, he went, oh my God. And 2054, I'm in bits. 
presuming that's the end of the film or so something so something astonishing happening but um he didn't specify what it was i mean did he stop watching it 2011 i mean we could take the film yeah get the time code piece right. together work out what, what he was watching for those who aren't aware leap year is the one of the greatest romantic comedies ever made <laughs> it's got amy adams in it and uh, matthew good it's the, it's got an incredible plot <laughs> <laughs> so amy adams is this american woman she is the long-term girlfriend of adam scott and she wants him to propose to marry her but he is not doing that. He just hasn't been doing that. And sort out, Scott. women can't ask men to marry them, can they? No. I mean, if a woman asks you, asked to marry you, you just have to say, that is an outrageous violation of gender norms. <laughs> You're fucking dumped. Yeah. Immediately. Get out of my fucking face. Get out of my fucking face. Get out of this restaurant and stay out. <sighs> so anyway, she doesn't want to risk that. So she's trying to figure out a way. But it turns out that there's some kind of bizarre legend that in Ireland... <laughs> On a leap year, on February the 29th, the woman can ask. It's like the only time. You know, it's in this yeah, one yeah. place on earth, every four <laughs> years, one, one day, the woman can ask. It's the only time it's acceptable. And he happens to be in Ireland, so she goes there oh, on a brilliant. surprise visit. She's going to surprise him. She's going to turn up. She's going to propose. It's going to be fantastic. But she arrives in Ireland. She has a dreadful time. Ireland is basically some kind of backwards <laughs> swampland with no um, infrastructure or anything like that all they have is like cows and pubs yeah um and she meets a handsome young irishman played by matthew good and he is going to take her uh, on his <laughs> horse and cart or whatever technology is available to him uh to dublin which is about six thousand miles away and um and so it's she amazing. can propose to her boyfriend and he's much better looking yeah. and he's irish so so i like uh the idea that somewhere in Hollywood there's just like a list of like events. <laughs> it's like we've done they New Year's Day, we've done yeah. Valentine's Day. Wasn't well, uh, there that movie When in Rome about like some? Isn't that like about a fountain? That yeah, Trevi Fountain. I don't. Know. Yeah, it's like another thing. It's just like they got a newspaper clipping with a place in the world on it. And they're like, yeah, we can. I want to do a rom com which are like the same premise, but it's like an even rarer day, like the eclipse or something, <laughs> like total eclipse of the heart. She's like, but, I lowly propose to you when the world is in complete darkness. It's like Haley's Comet or something like yeah, that. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, she's like, fuck, I've got to wait 50 years. <laughs> Precisely. Yeah. Well, thanks, Dougal. Thanks a lot, Dougal. I like your uh, stream of consciousness posts. It's a cool, refreshing stream, and I love taking a sip. Wow. <laughs> <laughs> Another interesting comment from Dougal. Chris posted um, a interesting article by a man named Carl Smith um, from the New York Post when he was talking about Goodfellas, and it was a kind of sexist rant about how his girlfriend didn't like Goodfellas about 25 years She's ago. She's a woman. And that shows that women don't get man's movies. Lack of a Y chromosome. You can't handle the bro fantasy of yeah. Goodfellas. It's a well-established fact that not a single woman likes Goodfellas, and yeah. every man does. So this is what Dugo says about this particular article. He says, Call me an effeminate, estrogen-leaking Nancy boy, but I've never fantasized about being lazy but deadly and living around a perpetual smoky card table continuously busting balls with the lads for eternity. Guess I'm not really a man. And how the actual fuck does the guy writing this know what good fellas written by a woman would be like? By very definition, he is genetically incapable of making that call. And even so, what light does it shed on the issue? What if Lolita was written by Nick Clegg? What if Northanger Abbey was written by Dom Jolly? Who the fuck cares i guess i don't really get the overall message is it to say well done men for keeping this movie in public circulation and good archival quality despite the film stock rotting power of female ambivalence wow well i think that's a yeah. s significantly more articulate and interesting point than carl smith has made 
anyway, I recommend, guys, you go and uh, scroll through Film Chat's very long Facebook archive and find that post um, and read it because it's a fun thing to laugh at and get snooty Yeah, he doesn't about. Really understand the film at all. No. It's funny that because Carl Smith has this whole thing where it's like uh, about how guy, you know, it's a male fantasy, you know, that's what you really want to do is you just take the law into your own hands, you do what you want, you hang out with the guys, you know, you yeah. just tell women off if you don't like them or something. Yeah. Yeah. It's like they have a horrible, meaningless existence, which ends like horribly. Yeah, they all they all lead empty lives, lives that will end in violent deaths for them. So it's not really like a fantasy. Yeah. Superhero films announced, casting rumors leaking out. M. Night Shyamalan's film is hated. Paul Thomas Anderson's is fated. Meryl Streep's Oscar tipped. Matt Damon's in a viral vid. Michael Bay's made a mint. That's the news that's been to print. News. Paul Thomas Anderson is writing the script and possibly directing a live-action version of Pinocchio, starring Robert Downey Jr. as Geppetto. Yeah. Interesting. Interesting. That's a kind of new direction for uh, PTA, isn't it? It is, but like a lot of his films, because early ones are about um, parents and children, and particularly ah. fathers and sons. Like oh, right, Sydney yeah. is that, and fa- uh, there will be blood. And uh, Bugenice has got this whole like nuclear family aspect to it. And Magnolia. And Magnolia's well, all about well. the sins of the fathers sort of yeah. thing. So in the broadest possible terms, that's the sort of theme he explores a lot. So I don't know if that will... It's, it's, it's an interesting choice because Disney's going through this period right now, aren't they, of doing live-action versions of their old cartoons. Yeah. And... Um... This, is, this is Warner Bros., Oh, right. One thing to read. Didn't read down to the third thing. So this is... Wait, so this is a Warner Bros. This is a... Right, yes. Oh, that's interesting. So Disney have already announced live-action Pinocchio, and this one is a separate one. Yeah, well, the... The original text is out of copyright. It was made it predates oh, copyright laws. So anyone, we can make a Pinocchio this movie. This is so bizarre. There's two Jungle Books coming out, and they're like two Beauty and the Beasts on the way. Probably. And now there's two Pinocchios. God, yeah. It's going to be fairy tale overload. But this one predates Disney's projects it's been kicking around for a while right okay so this is like a recent bit of news about it so potentially this might come out before the disney one cool to get their skates on yeah and it's it's uh good that he's working with robert downey jr because he was robert downey jr was going to be in inherent vice but it was replaced by joaquin phoenix yeah but i guess that rdj and pta still have some rdj know, pta friendship yeah well he's mates with his dad weirdly robert downey senior oh he's really a director ah yeah Oh gosh, it's very interesting. interesting All the stuff. knowledge, but yeah, I love Paul Thomas Anderson. Yeah. Now, like, if you like, you put his name in like any project, I'd be like, that is going to be a work of genius. If the next thing you made was like a Pepsi ad, you'd be like, I'm drinking Pepsi every day for the rest of my life. <laughs> for the rest of my fucking life. It's associated with him. He is a genius. <laughs> yeah, I must drink his genius juice. I don't know. Well, what's the least uh, exciting project at the moment? Um, I don't know like, if he was going to like if, it, if all he was going to do from now was direct episodes of the Gilmore Girls. I'd be like. Like no one told me for the next six years. I'd be in this basement watching the Gimmel Girls. First of all, I've got to watch every previous episode <laughs> so that I know the context for the PTA episodes. Yeah, yeah. great. Brilliant. Exciting stuff. So the gayest movie ever is getting a sequel, mm-hmm. by which I mean Top Gun 2 is happening. Uh, this is also another project that's been uh, muted for a while. Got a bit of momentum after Mission Impossible 4 was a big hit. And was like, Tom Cruise is bankable again. Yeah, and then he's made a, like, he had a series of like films that flopped. Yeah. And uh, so it fizzled out a bit, and part, somewhat due to the tragic death of Tony Scott, the director of the original movie, yeah. the sort of project got uh, on permanent hiatus. And the CEO, David Ellison, had the following to say about the direction of the plot. 
because there's obviously this huge gap. Uh, dog fighting is less cool now. So what happens at the end? But what happens at the end of Top Gear? He's like, I haven't seen this movie, right? So, so I'm familiar that he's got a kind of bromance game with Tim Robbins. Um, no, like Top Gun is hilarious for having like no subtext. Oh, no, wait, no, it's bromance with Val Kilmer. Yeah, he's, yeah. he's the hotshot guy. Doesn't play by the rules, and he's called Maverick. <laughs> and Val Kilmer is like the very cool controlled guy he's called Iceman right? yeah yeah and they're like rivals and they're going through like pilot school but it's kind of famous for this homoerotic subtext and yeah, like yeah. a famous scene where they all play volleyball and it's like slow motion shots of these like oiled up dudes like flexing their muscles and stuff it's real like bros movie yeah so uh, so so that this takes up this takes them up you know however like, like 30, 30 years. years later so uh, they're old old men David Ellison had the following to say about the plot when you look at the world of dogfighting what's interesting about it is that it's not a world that exists to the same degree when the original film came out this world meaning the present day has it's not more, really... it's a cockfighting <laughs> world now isn't it really? <laughs> yeah has not been explored it's very much a world we live in today where it's drone technology and fifth generation fighters are really what the United States Navy is calling the last man made fighter that we're actually going to produce. So it's really exploring the end of the era of dogfighting and fighter pilots. Okay. Okay. Interesting. So maybe they're like... So he's going to have a bromance with a drone now or something. Yeah, Maverick's like, let me go bomb that little village. And they're like, no. But then you're like, we're going to send another drone. And like the drone fucks up and starts killing everything. And it's like, who can stop the drones? Right. Maybe will it be a cross between Top Gun and that movie where the plane becomes... Oh, Stealth. Stealth, (laughs) right. That Rob Cohen movie where they make an AI plane that becomes sentient and tries to kill them all. I mean, that is a pretty prophetic film, thinking about it. It is a very prophetic film. You know, it was like laughed out of the box office at the time, (laughs) 10 years ago, but now now it looks very politically sharp. Yeah. It's a real piece of satire. Rob Cohen is like the sort of... Nostradamus of filmmaking. He is the Nostradamus <laughs> of filmmaking. You're absolutely right. So, what do you think, Danny? Are you excited for Top Gun Two? Are you a fan of the original? It's or like it's silly? hard to watch it now and just not see it as like the most '80s like quiche thing. You know, you can't really take it. At... <laughs> sorry, it's so know, stupid. Sorry, I know you mean kitsch, but <laughs> quiche. A quiche. It's like a quiche movie. Yeah, you know, quiche. Well, quiche is one of the gayest um, pastry-based foods, right? It's like a gay pie. So, do you think this movie is maybe um, gonna? Uh, surf the tide of gay marriage equality oh yeah general positive feelings how can they up the gay for the sequel well they think they should just embrace that and make Val Kilmer and Tom Cruise gay old gay lovers it's like that TV show Vicious with Derek <laughs> Jacobi and Ian McKellen but they're also fighter pilots they're all fighter pilots and they've got to work out how to stop drone technology I think they should be, like, be you know using a legal route to try to bring the president to account that sounds amazing yeah but it's like really gay but it's really political as well <laughs> I can't wait now yeah that sounds, sounds amazing. good that's, if that's not what the movie is like I think Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. We should make that movie. <laughs> so, final bit of news is Indiegogo News, the crowdfunding website. Uh, a new sort of trend in movie making is established directors asking for your money through various online websites. Crowdfunding. Crowdfunding. Like Zach Braff's um, film that everyone's forgotten about now. Yeah, Gun State 2. He's still miserable. Now yeah. he's older. He's got kids. I don't know. I watched the trailer. I was uninspired. So, the latest uh, established director to 
uh, use crowdfunding is Robin Hardy. Who's Robin Hardy? I hear you cry. He is the director. Who's Robin Hardy? <laughs> Quiet listener, I shall tell you. Uh, he is the director of The Wicker Man. And pretty much The Wicker Man is the only film he's made, which you've heard of. He's made about three films. Uh, the Wicker Man, a movie called The Fantasist in the mid-80s, which is just sort of being lost to the vaults of time. and I don't think anyone's seen it in years. And then a few years ago, in 2011, he made The Wicker Tree, which was a spiritual successor to The Wicker Man. and featured a cameo of the late, great Christopher Lee. And now he has gone to crowdfunding to get funding for his third part in this sort of spiritual trilogy called The Wrath of the Gods. Yeah, shouldn't he have called it the Wicker Wrath of the Gods, though? Yeah, I mean... Otherwise, how are people going to know? The Wicker God? I don't know. Wrath of the Wicker God. Yeah, Yeah. exactly. He's, like, super old. He's 86 years old, and he's very well-spoken. And it's very sweet, his video of, like... You guess as he doesn't really know what he's doing. Like, you know, they've just asked him to do... Well, the world of crowdfunding is very recent, you know? I think we should hear just a little bit of Robin explain the film, because it's great. Okay, let's hear it. I want to tell you now about my new film. The Wrath of the Gods. An international uh, entertainment company decided to build a theme park based on the Norse sagas. Now that we're making the third film, The Wrath of the Gods, we hope that new friends will step forward to help us fund the film. We've assembled a really interesting and attractive set of perks uh, to show our gratitude. Wrath. The wrath of the gods. Yeah, they need two hundred and ten thousand dollars, and they've got forty days to get it. And it's two days in. They've got one thousand six hundred forty-three dollars. Some so, distance, some distance left to go there. But yeah, if you pledge money, you get like perks, like posters and stuff, or a personal thank you from Robin Hardy, and he's very well spoken. So that yeah. thank you would probably be, you know, really nice. Thank you, <laughs> thank you very much for funding my film, The thank Wrath you. of the Gods. <laughs> It would be worth it for like ten dollars. Is it all made of wicker or what? <laughs> if it's not all made of wicker, I don't know. I'm not sure this is project is going to get off the ground. <laughs> the thing everyone takes away from the wicker man <laughs> is how much wicker there is. Just so much wicker. <laughs> when people saw my film, The Wicker Man, they were astounded by how much wicker there was. Everything in the film is made of wicker. And wicker was my original choice for the lead. (laughs) So good luck. Good luck to Robin Hardy. Slim Pickings at the cinema this week. I saw an array of films that I didn't particularly care to see. I'm not a five-year-old, so I don't love those minions from uh, the Despicable Me series. Me neither. Fuck them. And I couldn't tell. I watched like a thousand. They came. I saw it trailed so many times. I couldn't tell what the hell was about. Just could not tell. <laughs> I think the that? whole the whole appeal of it was that there were these little yellow men. But what's the plot? I don't know. Anyway, so I didn't want to see that. And I didn't see anything else that I wanted to see. <laughs> Sorry, it's the birds flying past. Sorry, we're recording in Avery. Sound quality has been sacrificed for comfort. So we did turn the rather loud fan off, so be thankful for that. But you may hear some tweeting. Some, yeah. But I think that adds something, right? Yeah. It's like we're doing it in a park. So, Slow West is the movie that we're reviewing this week. It's the artiest film we could find that was out, yeah. um, because that's the kind of uh, cineast we are. 
and uh, it's directed by John McLean, who um, is from the band the Be- the Beta Band, the Beta yeah. Band. Yeah. Um, who I mainly know for the reference to them in High Fidelity, where John Cusack says, "I will now sell five copies of the three EPs by the Beta Band," and he puts the song on by them in his in his uh, yeah. record store. They're a pretty cool band. John McLean decided to become a filmmaker, and he's made a few shorts and stuff. Um, previously worked with Michael Fassbender, and he convinced Michael Fassbender to be on board for his feature debut. It's called Slow West. It stars Cody Smith McPhee who is the uh, little kid from The Road and yeah. um, the voice of Paranorman, and he's done various other things. He's in Dawn of the Planet of the Apes. Yeah. He used to be this cute little kid, and now he's turned into, like, Uncanny Valley sort adult. Sort of gaw- gawky, yeah. young he's adult. He's all stretched out now. Yeah, he looks like uh, McLovin or something. Yeah. <laughs> and um, he's also been cast as Nightcrawler in the upcoming X-Men Apocalypse film. Wow. So his star is rising. So he's a kind of prim-looking stargazer called Jay, and uh, he joins up with a high plains drifter called Silas, played by Michael Fassbender, and they cross the wild west of 19th century Colorado in search of Jay's long-lost love, Rose, who is played by a newcomer called Karen Pistorius, which is a pretty cool name. Yeah. So I like this movie uh, quite a bit. I, uh, quite a I enjoyed bit. it. <laughs> well, I wasn't like in love with it, but um, I liked it. It's kind of a curious, oddball take on the western. Yeah. And it's a very earnest, heartfelt. Um, film as earnest as the quest of its hero. No, no. Um, and I liked it. Yeah, I, I pretty much agree. It's very. Um, there's not a lot to it. It's 85 minutes long. Well, it's got a. It's got this sort of fairy tale quality, and it's got a very simple story and quite um, simple characters, straightforward characters. And it's like we're going to go from A to B, and then they start at A, they get to B, and that's it. Yeah, it's. Um... But that might be partly a function of how it's obviously made on a very low budget. Yeah, perhaps. It does is the sense that everyone in the film is like the only people in this world. Yeah. There are like no other people yeah, and yeah. the ones in it. I like the sort of fairy tale aspect. The West like the Western genre, it's a weird genre in that it's uh it's like film noir in that it's just like a setting and a collection of tropes rather than a genre like a comedy. Right. Which can be anything. Yeah. But like the Western, it's kinda of already a fairy tale because like America don't have a past in the same way so the west like the cowboy is like their version of the like the errant knight i guess or yeah. you know instead of like a dragon terrorizing a village it's an evil gunslinger terrorizing good church yeah, folk yeah yeah and then someone rides in and saves them so that kind of fairy tale thing's already in the genre yeah, but as in, yeah. i don't know I, I haven't really seen that kind of take on it like before yeah it was interesting I think like uh, it's so sort of like obviously a fairy tale like the way it's shot like I don't know it's, uh, it's really very, lurid it's, it's yeah the colours are very vibrant um, which is maybe unusual for a western as well it's, they usually sort of dusty films that are emphasising how grim the landscape is and how harsh the life for its people and that kind of thing and this is very very colourful it looks really nice uh, if I do have a problem with the film I feel like it's slightly insubstantial yeah, I was, and yeah. like I, I didn't know how far like does the fairy tale thing excuse like quite broad characters? Like, are they supposed to be just sort of ciphers? And like that's somewhat mitigated by casting really charismatic actors. Yeah, but they're a bit bland. I felt like I agree. I think that the it has a kind of lyrical simplicity to the story, which does mean that the characters can seem somewhat flat. And I think that. It's slightly an issue with uh, the main two because they've got to carry like, the whole story and you watch them the entire time and they're very archetypal. The sort of naive young dreamer, I mean, like the first thing we see him do is like gaze up at the stars and like name the <laughs> constellations, which is like, oh, I get it. He's dreaming, you know, he's naive and everything. Yeah, yeah. 
and Michael Fassbender pretty much just chews on his cigar and just says, sure, kid. Yeah, I feel like the the kid stuff stuff was like a step too far. It was. Yeah, I felt like that sometimes. I think that the dialogue maybe lacked a polish. And I think that Cody Smith-Murphy was doing a lot with his character, but maybe Michael Fassbender was kind of just like, I am a cool man. I'm going to ride my horse (laughs) and look cool. Yeah. And similarly, like Ben Mendelsohn's just sort of been, I don't think he's really been directed. They've just given him like a massive coat. The coat's doing the acting. Ben Mendelsohn came in and they were like, this guy is a fantastic actor. Do it, Ben. Just (laughs) act and just be great. Yeah. What it lacks in that kind of like doesn't really have the sort of dialogue strengths. It's very like visually interesting and Mm. it's got a real like impressive just like storytelling you can't understand what's going on especially like in the final there's a lot going on and there's like hardly any dialogue yeah there's a big shootout at the end where there's a lot more action than the whole rest of the movie by far and it works really well yeah yeah i thought that was great it's like it's fun to watch in that there's a succession of i love to use the words quirky but like succession like weird surreal moments and it's a bit like i feel like the director just like loves putting little visual gags that's what he really likes doing yeah i think it's just not it's not some of its parts in a way mm. and they're like there are segments of it where you're like that could be like a short film unto itself but i don't think it really comes together and there's like a narration by michael fassbender and the whole sort of western setting i think gives it the illusion of like mythos which isn't really in the story yeah and it's like just like uh coasting on the sort of inherent baggage of a western but the story's like a bit... I think yeah. Mike, Michael Fassbender's voiceover veered on corny yeah. a little bit for me. So, um... But saying it, yeah, like, you, it's fun. It's like, it's a fun watch. And it's like only 85 minutes long. Yeah, and it's, it's really a very, it feels brisk. like a very confident um, debut. It's like he really knows what he's doing. It reminded me a bit of Wes Anderson, actually. It's got a similar kind of absurdism and melancholy to it. And things happen very suddenly. And um, it's like a sort of storybook where... Um, really surprisingly brutally violent things happen in the way the Grand Prix de Best Hotel is. And, um, yeah, I yeah. recommend it. Yeah, yeah. 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 My favourite film stars Bridget Bardo. She's the queen and she wants to be in radio. So she starts a podcast with her friends and the terrorists try to stop her, but she beats them in the end. Other film out this week, which isn't uh, about small little yellow things screaming, <laughs> is uh, The Third Man is getting... Uh, nationwide re-release but it's not at the BFI it's been digitally restored or something like that digitally restored and you can really see the glint in Joseph Connor's eyes and the uh, moustache hairs on uh, Orson Welles upper lip (laughs) he's clean shaven in the movie he's clean shaven in the movie but now we know there's a little little bit of moustache there's a five o'clock shadow on you there Orson yes so the third man uh, it's been out forever, so... Well, still Nin- 1949. 1949. So the plot is Jason Col- Cotton plays uh, Holly Martin, who is a Pulp Fiction American writer, and he goes to Vienna to uh, see his friend Harry Lyme, and he arrives at it and discovers that Harry Lyme has been uh, knocked down and killed by a car two days previously, and the film is like a thriller of him trying to investigate what happened to Harry Lyme and it's all set in Vienna in the sort of murky post-World uh, War Two of this city. Which yeah, it's is like a kind under- of international city and it's divided up into different districts. Yeah, and- which gives the film a real like resonance because it's like a post-war city and all the themes it kind of tackles are still very much true today. 
which yeah. is why it's so great. And what makes it especially cool is that it, because it was made in 1949, you know, this is this is post-war Vienna. It's not like they had to kind of jazz yeah. it up to make it look more like a bombed-out shell of a place. It's like covered in rubble, and it's so it's incredibly strikingly shot. Like they really made the most of the. Um, you know the bomb damage yeah yeah. (laughs) i love this movie it's one of the first films uh i've ever saw actually oh my god yeah i know super what a precocious child you are super precocious (laughs) yeah i uh i've got somewhere at home i've got a some bit of like primary school homework that we had to do and we had to like write our favorite (laughs) stuff and that's that my favorite movie on that is the third man right i was like seven years old or something that's that amazing that's my favorite movie and I, I i don't think i really don't think i've seen that many i don't know what other movies i've seen <laughs> that's so good i love the third man i remember us getting it on video i remember my mum telling me not to read the back of the tape because it was going to give away the twist yeah because the twist is so well known yeah that it's um, the front cover yeah <laughs> <laughs> yeah well not quite you know it didn't, yeah. It's not labelled with a character name, but but yeah. Anyway, it's got a very famous twist, so I was warned off that by my mom, and um, yeah, I've got a long um, <laughs> and uh, pleasant history of this movie, and it really, it really great. It has absolutely everything. Yeah, this is going to be like less a review, but more of a third man loving. Yeah, but yeah. Well, it's it's technically you... like amazing, like all the black and white photography, the direction. Even like if you, uh, it's very thematically rich. But if you just watched it as like a superficial. Uh, you know, just like not at all paying attention to the deeper meaning of anything. It's just like a really fun thriller. Like yeah. Graham Greene wrote the plot, who's obviously quite good at that, yeah. I've heard. Um, <laughs> See, well, Graham, Graham Greene, uh, interestingly, uh, wanted to make this movie with Cal Reed, the director, and Graham Greene doesn't really know how to write a screenplay, so he wrote a short novel, and then they adapted that. What a genius. So he, uh, he actually wrote the novel purely in order to be adapted into the movie, which is kind of weird. But yeah, uh, yeah, I, I agree with you completely there. I think it's um, not really that surprising that it can capture the imagination of a child in a way because um, even if you're not getting the politics of post-war Vienna and the black market penicillin trade or anything like that, it's just so incredibly beautiful looking and it's got this cool, exciting mystery plot. Yeah, and, uh, people in shadows. Yeah, it's just cool. And this really enchanting zither score, which is very well known. Um, and yeah, it just grabs you for for young and older alike. Clearly, I I found a nice. I read this on Wikipedia this afternoon. There's this nice comment from um, some critic writing in 1949 when the movie came out. Someone called William Whitebait, <laughs> and um, <laughs> he's talking about the the zither music. Maybe we should should we play a little bit of that because it's very Let's very good some. if no one knows it. So William Whitebait said about this music, What sort of music it is, whether jaunty or sad, fierce or provoking, it would be hard to reckon. But under its enthrallment, the camera comes into play. The unseen zither player is made to employ his instrument much as the Homeric bard did his lyre. So it's a little bit private eye suits corner, that um, remark. But at the same time, the thing he says about... um, having aspects of being jaunty and sad and provoking and stuff is really true. It really captures the movie so well because it's... um, the movie also has that qualities of being this playful thriller, but at the same time, a very sad and melancholy movie about a city that's going, going through a very difficult yeah, time. Yeah, and it's got this amazing speech about how people justify bad acts, mm. which is like... Uh, Trevor, you, Trevor Howard. Well, that, but when uh, a character's talking, they're on a fun fair and talking about the dots moving, and it's like, what if a few of them weren't moving anymore? Oh, and yeah. it's like, you know, the way you imagine people in power 
just see people as numbers, that sort of thing. It could be written yesterday, you know? It's yeah, like, yeah. It really stays with you. Yeah, there's a real interesting moral question um, at the heart of it, uh, which the film is um, takes a stance on. And one of the it's it's got a good hero because um, the the main character Holly is unsympathetic in a number of ways. Like he doesn't seem like he's particularly clever, and he spends most of the movie saying the wrong things to everyone all the time. <laughs> but but he's got you know he wants to do the right thing, and he has this sense of moral clarity that shows him what the right choice is at the end. And he has to betray his friend and yeah. abandon the woman he loves and miss a couple of flights. Yeah. And, uh, yeah. Worst of all was the flight missing. The that's flight the, missing. That's what he's really talking about. I mean, that kills you. That's what gets me, you know, someone who really cannot bear to miss a flight. <laughs> um, Trevor Howard is in it as this uh, English... I guess he's a soldier, right? But he's acting as a kind of police detective. I don't know. Exactly yeah, he's great. Is. All the performances and are great. That's sort of great um, kind of posh. He's a good sort of old movie uh, archetype character of the super posh, smart, uh, stiff upper lip English. Well, you of. just feel like they're sort of all playing themselves in a weird way. They're like effortlessly fit into their roles. Yeah, yeah. Like Orson Welles just has such a menacing, hyper-intelligent voice. You feel like he was just born to play villainous characters like everything he says is menacing yeah he's this kind of charming evil raconteur man yeah and similarly Joseph Corden has got a real uh, he's so good at playing slightly downbeat I don't know if you ever watched Shadows of Doubt he's like a similar like great performance where he's just like I don't know it's just brilliant he's effortless yeah it's great I love it it's great it's great this is great wait so Film of the Week is Mad Max. So. <laughs> <laughs> if you haven't seen that, it's really good. But yeah, you should definitely go to the cinema and watch The Man. It's really one worth yeah. seeing on the big screen. Big or, speakers. Yeah. Or if you've got a VCR, they can borrow your VHS, right? Yeah, they can borrow it. I mean, that thing's been... I watched that to death when I was six years old. But... <laughs> it's, just, it's just white noise and sound. Yeah, my right? favourite movies are The Third Man and Phantom Menace. Yesterday I bumped into Imelda Staunton She was up with her dog and we got talking I asked her what she does when she isn't acting She said she likes podcasts for relaxing Imelda, when you're in the mood What do you listen to? She said I listen to one podcast I listen to one podcast All the other ones can kiss my asses I listen to one podcast Film chat, film chat, film chat, film chat, film chat Probably the most famous bit in The Third Man um, is the Awesome Wells speech which he delivers. You were referring earlier to um, the moment with him and Holly on the Ferris wheel where Awesome Wells is basically making his case um, for Holly to join the dark side. Let's hear a bit of that um, well-known, well-known speech. Well, what the fella said, in Italy for 30 years under the Borgias they had warfare, terror, murder and bloodshed, but they produced Michelangelo, Leonardo da Vinci and the Renaissance. In Switzerland they had brotherly love. They had 500 years of democracy and peace. And what did that produce? The cuckoo clock. So long, Holly. That's also the famous sort of uh, background to that um, speech is that Orson Welles wrote that himself. Yeah. Not the great novelist Graham Greene. They needed one extra line to fit in for the, the rhythm of the scene or for the timing of the Ferris wheel or something like that. And yeah. uh, Orson Welles went off to his trailer and he um, scribbles the classic lines that, yeah. yeah lived on but he also had a couple of um, earlier drafts um, along very similar lines but with slightly different um, time periods <laughs> which he tried out uh, not many people have heard these but um, would you like to hear yeah, what, yeah, I'd love these to. are some other things he I'd was considering to. 
You know what the fellow said? In medieval Japan, in the Sengoku period, they had constant warfare, ritual suicide, and ninja assassins, and they produced katana swords, a sophisticated code of honor, and some of the world's finest sliding paper doors. In Tibet, they had a thousand years of Buddhist contemplation, and what did that produce? The orange robe. You know what the fellow said? In England, at the time of the Norman invasion, they had thousands of violent deaths, widespread rape and pillaging, and they produced the Bayo Tapestry, the Doomsday Book, and a revolution in governance and culture. The Pygmy tribes of Papua New Guinea were left undisturbed for untold decades, and what did that produce? The Bamboo Pipe. But then he also scrapped that when he gave it one to Karen, he's like, this is absolutely nonsense, right? This is his third attempt. <laughs> You know what the fellow said? In the kingdom of Narnia, under the White Witch, they had a century of constant winter, mass petrification, and a precipitous decline in the beaver population, and they produced unparalleled stonework and delicious Turkish delights. Under the rule of Peter, Susan, Edmund, and Lucy, they had a generation of peace and harmony, and what did that produce? A hunting expedition that turned them all back into children. <laughs> that, that too was rejected, and so that's, they went with the, uh, <laughs> Italy into the Borgias. <laughs> Uh, that was funny okay thank you listeners for joining us once again for another episode of Film Chat and I'd like to welcome back Katie to the editing role thank god she took that out of my hands after last week's disaster yeah 48 minutes what the hell happened yeah 40 minutes of them were like static (laughs) yeah it was mainly me burping and farting as well. I just, I just couldn't work out how to get rid of that. So, so thanks, Katie. So thank you, Katie. So join us next week. Well, we will be reviewing. I don't know. See you next time for Terminator Genesis. You seem to be immortal. Thirty-fourth episode. Terminator Genesis. deserves the best and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinary and developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And is all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com pack for free shipping and 365-day returns.